Well, good morning, church. Good to see you all. We're going to continue our time of worship by studying God's word. So I hope you got a Bible with you. Go ahead and open it up to the book of John, John's Gospel, chapter 3. And I just want to say a word of welcome to our guests who are with us this morning. It's a joy to have you. Thank you so much for being with us. We're going to look at God's word. We're starting a series called Brand New. And what we're doing is we're asking the question, really following up from Easter last week, where the Apostle Peter says that God has caused you to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we're picking up there and asking the question, what happens when you get new life from God by grace? What starts firing? What, what are the marks of a Christian? What are the marks of a person who has new life? Doesn't just make a profession of faith, but you can see it working in their lives from the inside out. That's what we're asking. And we start right here in John chapter three. I'm not sure there's a better place for us to start than John chapter three. If you'd follow along, I'm gonna read out loud. John chapter three, I'm gonna start in verse one. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can these things be, asked Nicodemus. Are you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things? Jesus replied. Truly I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the son of man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. So think about this question. How does a person become a Christian? How do you experience what Jesus is talking about? He says, you must be born again. How does that actually take place? The late author, Eugene Peterson, he tells a story about the first person that he ever won to Christ when he was a kid. And this is one of my favorite stories. He writes these words, reliving it. I had been prepared for the wider world of neighborhood and school by memorizing, bless those who persecute you and turn the other cheek. I don't know how Garrison Johns knew that about me, some sixth sense bullies have, I suppose. Most afternoons after school, he would catch me and beat me up. He also found out I was a Christian and taunted me with Jesus sissy. I arrived home most days bruised and humiliated. My mother told me this has always been the way of Christians in the world and that I better get used to it. She also said I was supposed to pray for him. One day I was with seven or eight friends when Garrison caught up with us in the afternoon and started jabbing me. That's when it happened. Something snapped. 
For a moment, the Bible verses disappeared from my consciousness and I grabbed Garrison. To my surprise and his, I was stronger than he was. I wrestled him to the ground, sat on his chest, pinned his arms to the ground with my knees, and he was helpless at my mercy. It was too good to be true. I hit him in the face with my fists. By this time, all the other children were egging me on. A torrent of biblical invective poured from them. I said to Garrison, say uncle. He wouldn't say it. I hit him again, more cheering. Now my audience was bringing the best out of me. And then my Christian training reasserted itself. I said, say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. (laughs) He wouldn't say it. I hit him again. I tried again. Say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And he said it. Garrison Johns was my first Christian convert. (laughs) So, So we laugh. But sometimes as Christians, don't we give the impression that we can produce new life in people, one way or the other, by hook or by crook, somehow we're gonna get you to believe, right? You said somebody's an atheist, just give me a Bible, a conference room, 10 minutes, let me sort them out. You you said you have a child who's rebelling against the Lord or wandering away from God, give me a conference room, a Bible, and 10 minutes, and I'll, I'll sort them out. But we can't argue people into the faith. We can't cajole people and manipulate people into the, we can't talk them into the kingdom. That's not where brand new begins. That's why the series is called Brand New because we're asking the question, where does brand new happen? And once it begins happening, how do you see that it's on the move in our lives? So Brooke Hills, let me just ask you this question on our way in. What if we had a message about real rescue that enabled us to say to unbelieving Birmingham, you can be brand new. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what you haven't done, you can be brand new. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe that's why the Lord brought you here. You need to hear Jesus saying through his word, you can be brand new. You can have a brand new start. So I want us to explore three questions about this concept of being born again, the born again experience. Number one, who needs it? Number two, what does it mean? And number three, how does it happen? So let's just start with the first question, who needs it? Who needs to be born again? I think sometimes the idea that prevails in our society when we're just kind of talking about this term is people will say, yeah, I mean, there are the born again Christians, there's the born againers, the born again type, they tend to be kind of the, the down and out you know, they, uh, they, they need a stronger dose of Christianity because they tend to be people who, who can't get a leg up in life. They, they, they need that kind of stronger, concentrated dose of Christianity to cope with their problems, to climb out of their problems. They're, they're very, uh, they, they need to feel meaning in their lives. They tend to be more the emotional types, not so much the thinker types. And yeah, they, they need it. They need the born again experience. Interesting thing is Nicodemus doesn't fit that profile. He is the opposite of that profile. And yet Jesus looks at this guy of all guys and says, you need to be born again. You must be born again. I just think about who Nicodemus was. So there, there in verse one, it says, there was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus. So he's, he's a Pharisee. That means he's spiritually impressive. The most spiritually impressive the most elite people in the spiritual category of that day. He's not only a Pharisee, he's a member of the Jewish ruling council. So he's, there's the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees come together and they form a group of 70 extremely spiritually impressive people. 
Those 70 men are the most put together morally people. They are the wisest, they are the godliest, they know the most about scripture of anybody on planet earth. 70 guys and he makes the top 70 in the world. So I found his Twitter handle and it's been translated amazingly from Greek into English. Here's Nicodemus's Twitter handle. Nicodemus, AKA Dr. Nick, PhD, Jerusalem Seminary, Pharisee, three favorite things, love God, hate sin, teach Bible. So th- that's, that's him, that's the guy we're, we're looking at, that's the guy to whom Jesus says, you, Pharisee, love God, hate sin, teach Bible. You, that guy, PhD from Jerusalem Seminary. You must be born again. Now, I think when Nicodemus comes up to Jesus, and there are different opinions about this, but I think when Nicodemus comes up to Jesus, he doesn't come up and strike up this conversation because I wanna be new. I don't want anybody to know it yet, but I'm asking you, can I have a new start? That's why I'm coming to you in the dark. I wanna explore the possibility of turning over a new leaf in my life. I don't think that that's what's going on in this passage. And part of it is because of what just happened in the passage right before our passage. So look at chapter two. If you got your Bible open, chapter two, verse 23. And this is a heading over the whole Nicodemus story. Again, ignore your chapter breaks because they weren't in the original Bible. So if you're reading from the, in the original Bible, you don't see that chapter break at chapter three. And you're just reading these words. Chapter two, verse 23. While Jesus was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them. Literally, in the original language, it uses the same word twice. It says many believed in him, but Jesus didn't believe in them. It's the same exact word. They believed in him because he was doing miracles. He didn't believe in them because he knew why they were here, just to see the miracles. That's what it goes on to say. Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them since he knew them all and because he did not need anyone to testify about man for he himself knew what was in man. There was a man named Nicodemus. So in that sense, what is John in chapter two with saying? He's saying Jesus didn't believe that their belief was genuine belief because they only came around for the miracles. And then when Nicodemus starts talking, he says, I believe in you. Guess why? Because of the miracles. He sounds exactly like what we saw at the end of chapter two. So he is not coming saying, help me turn over a new leaf. He's saying, I believe like everybody else because I saw the power show that you've been putting on in these parts. I think Nicodemus, he comes at night and and John isn't just saying he comes at night just so that you can know that, you know, so you could see sort of as it were, look at Nicodemus's watch and see that it happens to be evening. That detail could have been left out. All throughout John's gospel, he's using this device of light and darkness from chapter one all the way to the end. So he's winking. Every time he talks about light and darkness, he's winking. So in that sense, I think John is not just saying it happens to be night. He's saying Nicodemus is in the dark. Nicodemus is in darkness and Nicodemus doesn't know it, which is why Jesus is gonna say, Jesus' first words are, you can't see anything. You think you can see but you can't see, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God, even if it's right in front of your eyes. You're in darkness. Nicodemus is in the dark, and here's the takeaway for us. You think about this for your own life. Sometimes people are walking in darkness without knowing it. Nicodemus doesn't grasp his spiritual condition. His first words, is interesting, his first words are, Rabbi, we know something. It's interesting, he's the only guy standing there, but he's using the royal we, right? He's, he seems to be flexing in this moment where he says, we 
No, in other words, I'm standing here with the 70. I'm standing here with the big dogs, right? Jesus, I run with the 70 greatest Bible teachers on the planet, and I just wanted to start this conversation by telling you, my colleagues who aren't easily impressed are impressed. We wanna play ball with you. We wanna talk. Let's talk, right? And, and Jesus says, what you need is to be born again. <laughs> you, you thought you came in needing this, but here's what you actually need. What you need is to be born again. You can't see the kingdom of God until or unless you're born again. The scary reality is it's possible to teach others about something you've never experienced. No one taught the Old Testament like Nicodemus. They called him the teacher in Israel. In the original language, it has the definite article. Are you the teacher in Israel? Everybody shouts your name all over the streets, goes to your seminars, attends your conferences. You're that guy? And then Jesus is correcting his theology and his reading of the Old Testament. The, the problem that Jesus has with the Pharisees and the problem that Jesus has with Nicodemus, friends, it's a problem that still exists in the church. It's a problem that still exists among those who profess to be Christians. Matter of fact, not just now, 2,000 years later, even back there, it was a problem. People who associated with the real thing but didn't actually have it going on. So Jesus, he, he sends letters to some churches, just seven of them in the book of Revelation. And you can imagine if you're one of those seven churches on planet Earth that's gonna get a personal letter verbatim from Jesus, the resurrected Jesus is sending us a letter. So imagine we're not the church at Brookhills, we're the church at Laodicea. Imagine word goes out, because John tells us, hey, don't miss the Sunday gathering. There's a letter from Jesus that's gonna be read to you this Sunday, right? We'd go nuts. Like we'd fire up social media. We would say this Sunday, you've missed other Sundays. Do not miss this Sunday. We're starting a new series, Love Letters from Jesus. John is gonna read us a letter. Literally every word of this letter is written by Jesus to us specifically, the church at Laodicea. So everybody's gathering. We're launching the Love Letter series and we sit down and here's what the letter says. From Jesus, I know your works because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, so the spiritual condition, you say I'm rich, I've become wealthy and need nothing, and you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. So much love, so much for the, the, the love letters series, right? It's probably gonna end at that particular moment because Jesus is opening their eyes to the real reality. He says, you don't see what's going on in your lives. You don't see the reality. Sometimes people are walking in darkness and they don't even know it. Think about that for your own life. Do you see your own need for what Jesus offers? Sometimes, don't you see this in the pages of the Gospels? That sometimes it's the most sinful people, the most broken people who get mercy. They're the ones who understand it and Jesus, he even says this. He says, I didn't come for the well, I came for the sick. That doesn't mean that there are well people in the world. It means that there are sick people in the world. Some of them know it and the others don't. And Jesus is saying, I'm coming and all the humble are gonna run in my direction and all the proud are gonna run away. And that's what happened day after day with the Pharisees. Jesus would say this. He says, Here, here's how it tends to shake out. He who has been forgiven little 
loves little. He who has been forgiven much loves much. And so then it's no surprise that all these people who have been forgiven tons and tons of things, their, their ledger is just red from top to bottom and they come running in the direction of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 21, Jesus walks into the temple. This is the holiest place on earth. And he walks in and he says, take me to your leaders. And he finds the leaders, the guys who teach in the temple. And he looks at the guys who run the place and here's what he says. Truly I tell you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom before you guys are. You can, you can imagine Nicodemus and his 70 friends saying, that's what the kingdom's gonna look like? Hard pass. If that's, what, if that's the ones who are making into the kingdom, we're gonna go somewhere else. And it's as though Jesus is saying, have it your way. Mercy is for sinners. Came to seek and save the lost. You know where John locates that story of the temple cleansing, by the way? Matthew locates it in chapter 21, there at the end. John puts it right before this episode with Nicodemus. John puts it right here. So in essence, you come to the end of chapter two of John, and Jesus is saying, I'm gonna tear this whole place down. I'm tearing the temple down and I'm doing something brand new and the people say, well, where's the new temple gonna be? And he's, I'm the new temple. I'm the new, there's something new that's happening right here, I'm the new temple and here comes Nicodemus in chapter three and Jesus says, speaking of brand new, you're gonna need to be born again. You're gonna need, a temple's getting a reboot, you need a reboot, you need to start all over and I'm the guy to do it, right? It's true, not only there 2,000 years ago, it's true in this room. You cannot know the life that God has for you if you are not born again. Turns out, you know, when we categorize that there are these kinds of Christians and those kind of Christians, then they're born again Christians. Turns out, there are no Christians besides the born again Christians. All the Christians in the world who are genuine Christians are born again Christians. And if they're not born again, they haven't even begun to see the kingdom of God, much less experience it or enter it. You, you can't know the life that God has for you unless you're born again. And by the way, your moral report card isn't gonna help here. Nicodemus has an amazing moral report. He is in the hall of fame. He is the paragon of virtue in the first century. And none of that means anything to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is, he's familiar with the Old Testament, right? Your righteousness is as what? Filthy rags. It's not gonna get you anywhere in here. I'm not impressed by that. You must be born again. Who needs it? We all do. Second, what does it mean? What does it mean to be born again? What does regeneration even mean? So let's get some help from J.I. Packer. He writes an awesome, he writes many awesome books, but his book, Concise Theology, is a very helpful resource for comprehending basically the Christian vocabulary. Here's what he writes about the term regeneration. Regeneration, that's a $3 word, so what does it mean? Regeneration is God renovating the heart, the core of a person's being. Regeneration is entirely the work of God the Holy Spirit. It is a transition from spiritual death to spiritual life. And conscious, intentional, active faith in Christ is its immediate fruit. Regeneration is God making you new. Regeneration is God making you come alive though you were dead five minutes ago. You were dead to God, unresponsive to God, never gonna move in his direction. And then we, Paul says in Ephesians 2, who were dead in our transgressions and sins, God has made us alive with Christ. And he says, it's not your own doing. 
You have nothing to boast about. God did it. You're alive because God did it. You're born again because God did it. Regeneration is this, God overthrows the powers that ruled us. This is what I loved about when we studied Romans five through eight, as we saw that the Apostle Paul is using these, uh, these terms, he's personifying the law. He's personifying sin, sin with a capital S. He's personifying death with a capital D. And he's saying, grace overthrew law and sin and death. Grace came trucking through in your life, barreling forward, and it knocked everything else out of its enthronement place. That's why Paul would say, if anybody's in Christ, guess what? Everything's new now. You're not what you were five minutes ago. Now that you put your trust in Jesus, old things have passed away. Behold, everything has become new. And you know, Nicodemus, he's not grasping it. He's not picking up what Jesus is putting down. And so Jesus, he's talking to him and Nicodemus says, how can that even happen? That doesn't even make any sense. And this time, look at verse five. This time, instead of just saying you must be born again, Jesus adds some some other language. Unless someone is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So in the original language of the Bible, the words for spirit and breath and wind are the same word. It's one word for all three of those words. The same is true in Hebrew in the Old Testament. Ruach is spirit and breath and wind. And then in the New Testament, pneuma or panuma, depending on how you want to pronounce it, that word pneuma is the word for spirit or breath or wind. And so there's a play on words that's going on here in the text. It doesn't necessarily occur to us when we're reading in the English. But when he says, unless you're born of the water and spirit, water and pneuma. And then he says, the wind, the pneuma. The pneuma blows where it pleases and you can see its effect. And then he goes on to say, so is everyone who was born of the pneuma, who was born of the spirit. So there's this word play going on, spirit and wind are going on here, right? So, so when he says, unless you're born of water and spirit, you can't enter the kingdom of God, what's he getting at? I think this is what he's getting at. Is throughout the Old Testament, there was a dynamic duo. So, you know, we know of dynamic, Batman and Robin and others, right? Dynamic duos, where when those two are together, awesome stuff is gonna happen. There was a dynamic, the dynamic duo in the Old Testament is water and spirit. And, and that's why when Nicodemus isn't picking it up, Jesus says to him, wait, you teach the Old Testament. How do you not know when I refer to spirit and water, how are you not instantly there with me at all these new beginnings in the Old Testament? In other words, if you read the Old Testament well, Nicodemus, you're supposed to know the elements most deeply connected to new beginnings are water and wind, or water and spirit. Go back to page one of the Bible, the second sentence of the Bible. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the waters and the wind, spirit, ruach, breath of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. That was a moment that was pregnant with new beginnings. Darkness collides into wind and water, spirit and water, and God says, let there be light, and light and life starts emerging in all directions. You fast forward from there, the people of God are backed up against the water, there's an Egyptian army in front of them, and God, 
blows an east wind and the water stands up and they pass through on dry ground and they sing on the far side of the Red Sea. New beginning, wind and water. You fast forward again, Babylon. Why are we in Babylon? Because we got kicked out of the Holy Land. We got kicked out of the promised land because of our disobedience and rebellion against God. And now we're hopeless. Now we're dried shells of what we used to be. And God speaks through the prophet Ezekiel and God says, I'm gonna do a new thing. I know you're a long way from the holy city. You're a long way from the promised land, but I can find you even out there in Babylon and I'm gonna find you and here's what I'm gonna do. A brand new day's coming. Ezekiel 36, it says this. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean and I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new ruach, put a new breath, put a new spirit within you. That's Ezekiel 36, and then you read the very next chapter, Ezekiel 37, it's a famous story of the Valley of the Dry Bones. And those, that Valley of Dry Bones represents lifeless Israel, hopeless, dead Israel. And what happens? Ezekiel begins to prophesy, and the wind kicks up, and the wind blows through the valley, and suddenly the bones come together and they form this living army of God's people comes alive. Darkness, wind, water, darkness, wind, water. John chapter three, he comes in the dark and then Jesus says, what you need is wind and water. What you need is the spirit and the cleansing. The Apostle Paul writes later in the New Testament. He says, you know what your salvation is? Here's what happened in your salvation. He saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Pneuma, the Holy Spirit. He poured out his, there's that word again, spirit on us abundantly. So you have this language of how are you saved? You're saved through a washing and you're saved through the spirit. You were cleansed and then you were renewed. That's where brand new begins. That's why this series has got to start in John chapter 3. There's just no other place to start. John 3 is the place. It's where brand new begins. Who needs it? What is it? And third, how does it happen? How does it happen? And you see this language that he uses here. The wind, Jesus says, blows where it pleases and you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. What is Jesus talking about where he says, and I, I, I tend to think that Jesus is grabbing this metaphor from things that are happening right there in this evening. It's a cool evening, the breeze is blowing and he says, it's kind of like the wind. You know, like that wind, you see the wind? The wind is blowing through those trees. You don't know where it came from. You don't know where it's going next. You can just see its effects on that trees, but there's a mystery involved in the wind. The wind has a sovereignty about it. You can't determine where it goes next. Here's the point for us. New life from God becomes ours by sovereign grace. By sovereign grace, the wind blew where it pleases. What happened? You read the stories of transformation and new life in the book of Acts. You just keep turning pages. New life, new life. New, brand new, brand new. Page after page, right? How does Saul of Tarsus end up brand new? When we first see him, so you see him one moment, he's breathing out threats and murders and violence. He's arresting and getting Christians killed. He's holding the coat so people can sling their stones. That's Saul of Tarsus. You meet him a little bit later, and he's a completely new man. He's proclaiming the very message that he was just trying to tear down. What happened? Answer, the wind blew. The wind blew and caught him and knocked him off his horse, literally knocked him off his horse. And next thing you know, he's got eyes to see. 
the wind and the water, the cleansing and the new life. Nicodemus says, we know you're a teacher. Jesus says, you don't know anything. You can't even see the kingdom. You've been preaching about the sovereign rule of God from the Old Testament. You don't even see it. Trust me, there's so much more to see, right? If you knew, in other words, it's like Jesus is saying, if you knew really what I'm about, you wouldn't merely call me teacher. I did not come to teach you. I came to save you. I did not come. The Son of Man did not come to give spiritual TED Talks for the changing of the world. Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. Son of Man came to be a substitute for sinners. Son of Man came to take away the sins of the world through his dying and rising. That's why I'm here. I'm not here to teach you. I'm here to save you, Nicodemus. You need a new start. That's what Jesus refers to in verse 14, by the way. He knows he's talking to an Old Testament scholar. He says, let's go to the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. You love the Old Testament. Let's go to the Old Testament. Remember Numbers chapter 21, Nicodemus? I'm sure you've taught that before. Numbers chapter 21. Situation is, we both know, situation is it's the wilderness wanderings of God's people. They've rebelled against him. They're murmuring and complaining. It's time for judgment. God has had enough. And so here come all these poisonous snakes into the camp. They start biting people left and right. And everybody's getting sick and they're gonna die. And Moses cries out and says, God, what do I do? All the people are gonna die out here in the wilderness. And God said what? God said, make a bronze serpent and put it on a pole Put it high enough so everybody can see it and then tell the people once you've put it on the pole, tell the people, look and live. Everybody, the moment your eye makes contact, you live. And Jesus blows Nicodemus' mind. Nicodemus is gonna short circuit here because Jesus says in verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, Nicodemus, when you see the Son of Man lifted high, look and live. Look and believe. Just like they did in the Old Testament, look and live. That is where our sight comes. The great hymn was inspired by this, written by Isaac Watts, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, with the burden of my soul, my heart rolled away. He says, it was there by faith I received my sight and now I'm happy all the day. New eyes. New life from God is bought by the Savior's sacrifice. Friends, understand, 2,000 years of gospel preaching is bound up in three words. Look and live. We'll say it in one way this week, we'll say it in a different way next week, but there's not gonna be any other answer for you next week that isn't already here. Look and live. Look to the, you wanna live this morning? Look to the cross. There is your redemption. There is your forgiveness. There is your savior. There is your substitute. There is your righteousness. I think there's no evidence that Nicodemus actually put his faith in Jesus there in John chapter three, but you check him out later and something seems to have happened. Why? Because after Jesus is lifted up, the Son of Man is lifted up on the cross. He is on that pole that was foreshadowed by Numbers chapter 21. Jesus is lifted high on the cross and he dies on the cross and his disciples scatter, right? Why do they scatter? Because Rome just killed that man and everybody who's associated with him needs to break ties for your own safety. That's why Peter denies him. 
He sees what's going on. He's like, it's time to break ties for our own safety. Disciples scatter, everybody's hiding. Two men are, are willing and bold enough to say, we'd like his body. Wait, you're a sympathizer with this guy? You're gonna stick your neck out and actually sympathize? You wanna wash this man's body? This man who was a major problem for Rome? It's probably dangerous for these two guys to do that. Guess what one of them's name is? Nicodemus. It's come a long way, right? It's dangerous to stick your neck out far enough to say, I wanna properly bury this person who posed major problems for Rome. I wanna bury this person whose murder was instigated by my 70 best friends whose murder was instigated by the 70 guys that I preach conferences with, right? Who would endanger their lives? Who would be ostracized from their community? Who would spend tons of their own coinage in order to give a burial that's fit for kings? Who would do that? Guess what? Nicodemus would do it. Why? Perhaps Nicodemus saw the son of man lifted up on the cross and he looked and he lived. It's where brand new begins. Brand new begins there from the very start. Back there in John chapter three, so here's the final question for us to think about. What was Nicodemus supposed to do and what's it mean for us? What's he supposed to do when Jesus says, you must be born again? It's a clear command, but how do you respond to a command that sounds passive? In other words, you think about two different commands. If I said to you, call your mother, you know what you're supposed to do, right? Call mom. What if I say, be called by your mother? Well, it's clearly a command, but I'm not really sure how I can do that one. You must be born again. You can't birth yourself. You can't conceive yourself spiritually in that way. So how do you respond? Friend, this passage, as Jesus says, you must be born again, it doesn't take away your agency as a person who's listening to the words of Jesus and meant to respond to the words of Jesus. So when Jesus says the wind blows wherever it pleases, it doesn't just mean, hey, everybody sit back and just hope the wind comes your way. What do you do when you're sailing? There's no oars on the vessel, there's no outboard motor, all there is is a sail and the wind. And so the only way to move forward is external power that gets you somewhere. Apart from external power, you're not gonna get anywhere, but here's where agency comes in. If you wanna move, when the wind starts blowing, you need to do what? You need to raise the sail. <laughs> you need to hoist the sail, if you don't put the sails up, wind may be blowing powerfully, but you're not going anywhere. You wanna step into brand new? Raise the sail. Raise the sail of faith. Say, Jesus, I believe. Say, Jesus, I'm with you now. I'll follow you now. Turning from this, the things that I trusted in five minutes ago, they're foolishness. Now I see where real life is found. I believe that's you hoisting your sail so that when the wind blows, you are carried along with it. Eugene Peterson, that story that I mentioned earlier, he didn't make a real convert in Garrison Johns that day. We all know that, he knew that. But the message of the gospel is wind. The message of the gospel is a message through which the Holy Spirit saves. One of the most beautiful books that I've read in recent years is uh, entitled Gay Girl, Good God. The subtitle, is Who I Was and Who God Has Always Been by Jackie Hill Perry. So she comes to faith in Jesus and amazingly she looks back to her life before Jesus and she looks back on many Christians who tried to win her to Christ as an unbeliever and here's what she observed. It seemed to be a religion of just duty. I met so many disciples who preached more of sin than joy, 
whose eyes were stuck in a constant state of solemnity, clenched teeth, and an endless fascination with holiness. Why hadn't they ever mentioned the place happiness had within righteousness? Or how taking up of the cross would be a practice of obtaining delight, delight in all that God is. Even their savior had this kind of joy in mind as he endured the cross, so why hadn't they set their focus on the same? In their defense, they were not to blame for my unbelief. I just wonder if they would have told me about the beauty of God just as much, if not more, than they told me about the horridness of hell if I would have burned my idols at a faster pace. <laughs> Brooke Hills, what if we had a message about real rescue that enabled us to say to Birmingham, you can have a brand new start? What if you're here this morning and what you need the most Maybe you didn't even come in knowing that what you need the most, but what you need the most is to hear Jesus himself say in your heart, you need a brand new start. Trust me on this one. Come with me. Hoist your sail. The wind is blowing. Come with me. I pray you will.